And for part two of today's morning show here on WGTD, I am delighted to be joined by three gentlemen who all have a hand in the next concert of the Kenosha Symphony Orchestra. This Saturday afternoon, do I remember that's the 25th of February? Uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon at Ruther High School Auditorium in the beautiful Ralph Houghton Auditorium, a concert which um, all of us think is titled Symphonic Gems off the top of our head. And certainly uh, whether or not that's the official title precisely, certainly that's what this concert promises to offer uh, to those in the audience. Uh, a, a series of, of lovely pieces and Maestro uh, Bob Hasty will be uh, taking us through uh, some of those specifically. The program also includes the third horn concerto in E-flat major by Mozart. And uh, we have joining us uh, Neil Kimmel, who is going to be the horn soloist in the spotlight for that particular moment in the concert. And uh, also joining us is Pete Rodriguez, who is a member of the orchestra, in fact, a member of the horn section, and also president of the board of directors of the Kenosha Symphony. And that's been an intriguing and I think lovely recent trend or tradition uh, that somebody heads up the, the board of directors who is also very much a part of the symphony. And such has not always been the case, but uh, there are a lot of ways in, make, in which that makes a great deal of sense. So anyway, we have a lot to talk about. We welcome all three of you to the morning show. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, nice Greg. to be here. Good to have you here. Uh, we're going to start with Mr. President uh, Pete Rodriguez. Uh, first of all, how long have you played with the Kenosha Symphony and, and how important an experience has that been for you? Uh, I started in 2014, so it's been quite a good time. Uh, and I've had the good fortune of working with Bob that whole time. I think I, I'm a little less than you, Bob, as far as how long you've been with Kenosha, but it's been a fantastic experience. I treasure every time I get to play with the orchestra. Fantastic. So uh, Maestro Hasty was saying before we went on the air that you actually get to take some credit for this invitation being extended to the guest soloist uh, for Saturday's concert, uh, French hornist Neil Kimmel. Tell us, first of all, your connection to him and what prompted you to uh, 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 urge urge uh, Maestro Hasty to uh, issue this invitation. Sure. Uh, yes, I think Neil played with the Kenosha Symphony many years ago, right, Neil? And That's right. we have mutual friends as well. And so uh, Neil also reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I would love to play with the Kenosha Symphony. I, I, he used to play there, so I thought this is a fantastic idea. And, and I admit maybe there's a little bias because I'm a horn player, but at the same time, thinking back, I'm like thinking we've had lots of violin soloists and piano soloists over the years, and I think a cello soloist too, but it's not as frequent that we've had wind players. And so I thought this was a good change to make for this concert. And this is a I don't know what to call it, but let's call it a smaller scale orchestra concert. So this repertoire is very well suited to what Neil is going to do for us. Fantastic. And uh, since I have uh, more institutional memory for the Kenosha Symphony than any of you, maybe any of you put together, actually, I'm going to mention, although perhaps you're already aware of it, but for the symphony's 50th anniversary gala season, Barry Tuckwell was invited uh, to the stage of Ruther Auditorium. He was an artist associated with LeBlanc, which was headquartered in Kenosha at the time. And that's why such a thing was possible. But anyway, um, 
I don't know if there's been a horn soloist since, probably at least one at some point, but uh, it's uh, it's you're right. It does not happen frequently enough. And um, this is something to be excited about. Um, Neil Kimmel, just tell us a little bit about what led you to the French horn. Um, if anything in particular uh, made you especially uh, excited uh, to, to choose that instrument, because it's not an easy one to master. No, it's not. And it, it continues to be, but uh, we, we endeavor to do so. Yeah, when I was very young, my just fate kind of led me to friends were joining the band and I kind of hopped on board. I had no musical experience, no musical interest, and can't really remember the how and why, but I was led into a room where for some reason there were only wind instruments. It was maybe the day that the, the wind instruments were represented and no strings. And probably the first time I saw a French horn and all the coils and tubing and things, had no idea what it was, asked to, I guess, try that. I made a probably terrible sound on it, but made a sound on it nonetheless. And thus began the journey, much to the surprise of my parents and people who knew me. And just great experiences from the beginning, really fine, young junior high band director who kind of facilitated the journey and made it an interesting and exciting one. And ever since the experiences have only kind of catapulted and, and continued to make it an interesting career path. One of my memories of interviewing Barry Tuckwell all those years ago uh, was I asked him kind of, I suppose, an impertinent question about why is it that when we hear little mishaps in an orchestral performance, more often than not, they come from the horn section. I mean, is there something going on there? And of course, he I'm, he enlightened me and the listeners on the fact that the French horn is a wonderful instrument, but an inefficient instrument. And uh, I mean, in terms of the way it's constructed. And so it is exceptionally difficult to master. And, uh, and when I asked him, why don't we build a more efficient French horn? He said, well, that would change it. It wouldn't be the French horn anymore. And that wonderful primeval lovely primitive sound if if you will uh we would lose that if it would just become another kind of trumpet and we don't need another kind of trumpet we need the french horn so uh it sounds like uh despite the rocky start you have fallen in love with this instrument and maybe it has fallen in love with you it's it's been fantastic it's a sound that i relish from my first note to my last of every day my colleagues around me and you know, Pete and I will both prove you wrong as far as the missed notes. We will, <laughs> we will, we will make you eat your words, I hope. <laughs> fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. But yes, there's something extra special about the French horn and uh, and the color that it adds to an orchestral bed of, of, of timbre. And of course, then there are those opportunities when somebody steps into the spotlight as horn soloist. Say a quick word, if you would, um, about uh, the the four horn concertos. I think there's four of them by by Mozart. They're certainly a central part of the repertoire for sure. Absolutely, we're we're so fortunate. I mean, he wrote five violin concerti. We have four horn concerti. It, we're so fortunate. He you know wrote single concerti for other instruments, but we were blessed. He was friends with a, a gentleman named Lloyd Gebb, who is. Um, a really fine soloist of the during the evenings and during the day he was a, a cheesemonger and he he somehow balanced this amazing life but Mozart befriended him and was in awe of his playing 
and challenged him with each of these concerti. And he, as you know, I'm sure, Greg, that Mozart was a, a joker, a prankster, not a serious classical musician. He, he really was quite a character. And in the manuscripts for these concerti, he wrote little kind of hazard signs for Leutgeb, and he called him nasty names that I won't say on the air. And he, you know, would say, you know, uh, take take heed here, be careful. Um, he would write the manuscripts in different colored inks to confuse him. He did all these things, and there was just like a game they had back and forth. So we think, you know, stodgy Mozart. Now it was it was a, a really fun relationship they had, and to this day we still have these pieces that uh, are the kind of you know the pieces that kind of stand for their relationship and we get to keep playing them and we're so fortunate. Wow, I've never heard that story before. That's wonderful, wonderful stuff. For those of you just joining us in this portion of the morning show, we're talking about three people involved in Saturday afternoon's concert by the Kenosha Symphony Orchestra. Uh, we have the conductor himself, who we'll hear from in just a moment, uh, Bob Hasty, uh, Neil, uh, Neil Kimmel, who is the French horn soloist playing the Mozart Third Horn Concerto. And joining us as well is, is the president himself, Pete Rodriguez, president of the Kenosha Symphony Board and also a member of the horn section, a proud member of the horn section, which I will no longer malign in any way, shape or form. Uh, so... There's a, a concert that is filled with all kinds of wonderful works. Was it hard to choose this particular horn concerto? Uh, I mean, is it a particular favorite? I know that at least three of them are almost exactly the same length and structured very similarly, and they're all Mozart, of course. Did anything in particular draw the third concerto to the to the forefront? I don't know if Pete, do you want to answer that, or if you would like me to? I would like you to. <laughs> okay. Um, it's it's one that I really enjoy. I, I enjoy them all. It's one I'm so I'm I play with the Lyric Opera of Chicago and the Grand Park Orchestra, and I play second horn. Second horn, in general, you know, focuses on the lower end of the horn, and this concerto is pitched a little lower. And it it gets me. It allows me to kind of show off that end of my playing, which if you come to the performance, you might hear some lower notes than you expect, we'll just say, instead of ruining the surprise. But there are, there are, I think the, the second and the fourth concerti are a little higher, which I love to play as well. But the third has always kind of been a, had a special place in my heart and just spoke to me more than the other two over the years. But obviously all of the three others are phenomenal pieces. You can't really, it's like picking a favorite child. You really can't do it. But this one, to me, um, again, holds a special place. Fantastic. That is absolutely uh, great. And we look forward to hearing it. Maestro Bob Hasty, I'm sure you're excited about conducting this wonderful little masterpiece by Mozart. Uh, and uh, are there any particular challenges that are involved in putting a piece like this together? Obviously, as a work by Mozart. It's not going to have huge ebb and flow like a more romantic score, but I suspect there are other challenges that, that are posed to you as conductor and to the orchestra. Well, with a, a, a concerto from the 18th century, we are, it's, it's more of an accompaniment figure 
uh, as opposed to later, the other big horn concerto, which would be the Strauss concerto, where there's more equality between the orchestra and the soloist. Here, we are just going to kind of lay the foundation and let Neil shine. Um, the third concerto is a little bit different uh, in the fact that uh, he uses clarinets instead of oboe. Uh, so the first two, he he uses two oboes, and now we get rid of them, and then I, and I think that changes the sound a little bit of the third concerto, a, a little bit uh, more of a mellow sound. And as Neil said, uh, it's it's lower. The first concerto is in D, and now we've got E flat concertos, which are very very interesting. Um, a couple things that's um, so to me those are. That's the main thing is we're just trying to uh, be an accompanist role, which I know, Greg, you are very familiar with being an accompanist yourself and uh, and get out of the way. A couple things that is also important to note, and maybe Neil, you can respond to this uh, for our listeners. And, and that's and that's the fact that this was written for the natural horn. And the the thing that that uh, Lloyd Geb was known for and the reason why he did so well with the because he was a master at those getting all the partials right with that uh, that good lip control and then the hand stopping in order to get to the variety of notes that you had on the natural horn which had no valves valves were not placed until later. Neil, I'm going to assume that you're using a valved horn. You is that correct speaking... for, for this weekend? So maybe maybe I think it would be really good for listeners to know the difference between the horn that Mozart wrote for and the one that you're going to be using. We hadn't talked about this and you are assuming correctly, so I'm glad we're having this talk now. Yeah, good. Uh, I was, <laughs> was going to ask. <laughs> I, I am not a, a scholar in the natural horn by any means, so that is not really my wheelhouse. I play a more you know, modern instrument regularly. So what Maestro Hesse is talking about essentially is that when the horn was invented, yeah, it was a, a straight long brass tube that was coiled into a circle to be more easily transported on horseback for the use of um, hunting horn to call out to other riders and, you know, that they've spotted a fox or something, uh, that they would be taking this instrument with them. So it's, again, it's mobile and they are, they're able to carry it. The development of the valves, yes, came later. So what they would do is they would put their hand inside the bell, the kind of flare end of the instrument. And by opening and closing their hand, they could produce more notes. So on just the natural tube of the instrument, only certain notes could be produced. So one length of tubing would be an E flat. They would add another length of tubing to make it in C and so on and so on. The instrument set in E flat again only had certain notes from which it could produce. So by again adjusting the hand, it increases the number of notes that were on the palette for Mozart to use to make the concerto happen. So in not just the concerto, in symphonies and any kind of piece, this was what had to happen with the natural horn. Today we have valves, so we have all the notes of the chromatic scale at our disposal so we can play anything. And so obviously composers can write anything for us and they do. So we, going back to Mozart's times, yeah, we have to heed what, what it would sound like when the hand would close, you know, what little tim timbre differences that would make and really try and 
incorporate that into our performance and not just focus on the contemporary instrument. It's you really do have to be reverential to the sound that Mozart wrote for. Yes, what I sound like and what I'm going to sound like on Saturday is a modern performance. You really won't specifically maybe, you know, hear those differences, but they are a part of my study and, and what I what I decide to do with my modern instrument. And Neil, would you say the last movement, it does recall the hunting horn history, right? Just by the, there's, there's a particular rhythm in there that reminds you of riding a horse, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great comment, Pete. It, it's just, it's quite uh, jocular, very happy, but yeah, there's this this bounce to it that it does sound like you're on horseback and it's it's so, there's actually, yeah, literally little horn calls in there that almost sound like you're you're calling across the the valley to another hunter and uh, it's it is it's so rich and full of character that hopefully when you hear the concert you'll think of these hunting horn moments we will share a little bit of that last movement uh as soon as this interview uh is over and uh, we want to remind uh, our listeners that there are other musical gems that are part of Saturday afternoon's concert, which unfortunately we really don't have time to, to discuss at any length, but there's an overture by Rossini from his opera uh, Il Signor Bustino. There are the Romanian dances of Bartok, the Forays uh, Pavan, and there is Schubert's a seldom heard fifth symphony. Um, I think the only question I'll ask you, Maestro Hasty, is uh, there's a special challenge in putting together a concert like this that has lots of little things versus just one overture and then one uh, concerto and then one symphony, uh, even if it adds up to roughly the same amount of music, it seems to me there's something pretty, uh, pretty daunting about a program like this. Well, I have to admit that that it's 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 a little bit easier when you consider the fact that you're programming around the concerto. So uh, when the board uh, makes a request to me and they they ask me to consider doing a chamber orchestra concert, so uh, less uh, instrumentation, less of the big brass and percussion. Um, and we have to remember that back uh, in the time that Mozart wrote this, it wasn't called a chamber orchestra. It was simply called orchestra. Now we call it in retrospect a chamber orchestra because it was smaller and it was usually performed in people's houses. You know, there we didn't have the always have the big concert halls. Um, but one of the important things to, to note about this is that, and the, and and also speaking about the horn, when you look at a conductor's score, you have those woodwinds, and then you in the early symphonies, it was only horn. There, there was nothing else. And that's why in a conductor score, even today, with the except with the exception of perhaps Prokofiev, uh, the horn is the first instrument listed in the conductor score simply because of the history. The horn was the original, it was it was one of the original instruments of the early symphony uh, before trumpets were added, long before trombones were added, long before tuba was added. And simply the horn was that's often why you will see in a woodwind quintet. There is a horn player playing in a woodwind quintet. So to me, it was a great opportunity. When you go to uh, a lot of our symphony orchestra concerts, we have that big symphony like like Brahms recently, like Brahms II. Um, 
but I've never done so to me when when the board says we would love for a more intimate chamber orchestra concert I'm I'm going great I find I could do these pieces that we uh, never get to do so for instance Schubert I have not done in the 10 years I have not done a Schubert symphony the only piece by which is amazing I, I can't believe I haven't done anything by Schubert except during the pandemic year we did the Polonaise uh, uh, with for string orchestra uh, with with solo violin but we have to understand that Schubert when he wrote this symphony was a profound admirer of Mozart he was just and he was only 19 years old when he wrote this symphony but this is the year that he fell in love with Mozart and so the first time I heard this symphony by Schubert I remember listening to it for the first time I think it was on the radio and I just said when did Mozart write a symphony in B flat I could I what when did this happen and then I had to wait because back you know, now you have to wait until the end of the radio program for them to say and that was kind of like in that Greg Berg voice right. you just listened to the symphony number no. five by Schubert and I was I was uh, amazed and and it's true that he was an admirer of Mozart he even used the same instrumentation as symphony number no. 40 uh the great G minor symphony of Mozart so to me that was very easy to program uh along with it uh and it, that piece is also called the symphony without uh trumpets and drums uh there's no trumpets there's no percussion as a matter of fact there's no trumpets uh at all this weekend uh on any of the pieces and there's no percussion so to me putting this together and looking at the instrumentation of Schubert and Mozart I, I went great How, look at some of the things I could do with Rossini uh the opera buffa composer it's silly it's hilarious the second violins take their bows out and hit their music stands with it and I'm, I'm that's all I'm going to say with the, with their bows and uh, uh it does say colenio but I know that that doesn't make uh, enough sound so there is comedy uh in that we know that Bartok um originally wrote his piece for piano uh, as an ethnomusicologist looking at the folk music of Transylvania and then now he orchestrated it for this we actually did that during the pandemic too but for string orchestra uh, but it's going to be great where we can add uh, the winds to it um, and then with uh, oh by the way Rossini also was very young when he wrote his he was only 21 years old so we have a bunch of youngster composers who are writing on this program and with Foray, he also wrote this Spanish dance uh, by Pavan, uh, beautiful instrumentation featuring the flute. Uh, and originally for piano, kind of like what uh, Bartok did. And I would say, um, uh, you know, in addition to his Requiem, this is probably his most well-known piece and an audience favorite, uh, the one that everybody loves to listen to when it comes up on Spotify. So uh, it was really wonderful to put this together. And that's why I called it Symphonic Gems, because uh, we often have these grand pieces that we do uh, with the Kenosha Symphony. And now we've got these, I want the audiences to come and hear like the history of the orchestra, history of, of what it sounded like with a, with a Mozart concerto. And then and then somebody who was influenced by Mozart in the, in the name of uh, Franz Schubert and uh, kind of hear this history of the orchestra, even though it's a chamber orchestra concert, um, it is still a full orchestra uh, in terms of the historical understanding of what an orchestra is. There'll be a wonderful scope to this concert, that's for sure. In addition to 
being in a sense musically intimate. Peter Rodriguez, uh, remind people of when the concert is uh, and where and about a special promo uh, for people listening to this interview. For sure. Thank you, Greg. Uh, yes, the concert is this Saturday. That's February 25th at 3 p.m. at Ruther High School in downtown Kenosha. And we do have a special discount for you. If you go to our website to purchase a ticket for this concert, you can enter the promo code RADIO20. That's the number two zero. Uh, and if you put that in, you'll get $10 off the price. You have to do that ahead of time. So we won't offer that discount at the door. But if you get your tickets before Saturday, you'll be able to get that. Fantastic. Peter Rodriguez is uh, president of the board. Maestro Bob Hasty is the conductor. And Neil Kimmel is the guest soloist for Saturday afternoon's concert. Thank you, gentlemen, for this uh, conversation and best wishes to all of you. Thank you, Greg. Thanks so much. And here is a little taste of that final movement of the Mozart Horn Concerto Number no. 3 in E-flat major, Kirkle 447. Once again, that special promo for those of you listening to this interview who want to purchase tickets for the Kenosha Symphony's concert this Saturday afternoon, you should go to the Kenosha Symphony's website and where there is a bar, you can type in a special code. The code is RADIO20, that is RADIO20, to receive $10 off the admission price for Saturday's concert. And again, you must do that ahead of time via the website in order to receive that discount. My thanks again to conductor Bob Hasty, to board president Peter Rodriguez, and to horn soloist Neil Kimmel for being my guests in part two of today's morning show here on WGTD.